15th March, 1745, off Madagascar. Ria de Ponteverde carried guns. Most merchantmen did. Carried guns, with powder and shot, rammers and sponges, trucks and tackles. They differed from ships of the various royal navies only in the relatively small degree of their armament, as compared with the exclusive concentration upon artillery that marked out the man-of-war. And it wasn't just a broadside battery on the main deck. It was swivels on the gunwale and small arms and the lockers down below, muskets and pistols, pikes and cutlasses, and all the gear that went with them, cartridges, flints, powder horns, and small-grained pistol powder. All this was a fearful expense and a burden upon trade, for there was not one farthing's profit to be made by honest seamen in hauling defensive arms and ammunition across the seven seas. Unfortunately, there were others on the seas who were not honest seamen, and whose business it was to become very rich very quickly by selling cargoes without the bother of paying for them. Hence the need for guns, because sometimes, indeed, often, these gentlemen could be seen off by force. Sometimes, but not always. And now, six miles off the Bahia de Bombatoca, a general slaughter was about to begin. The Portuguese brig Ria de Ponteverde and the buccaneer Victory were locked yardarm to yardarm in a stinking cloud of powder smoke that barely shifted in the hot tropical air. The brig was beaten. She was broken, bloodied, smashed, and splintered. Her helm was shot away, her sails in shreds, and Victory's boarders were pouring over her sides. A tall, yellow-haired Englishman stood with his Portuguese mates by Ria de Ponteverde's mainmast among the shattered spars and dismounted guns, the silent dead and the howling wounded, as the boarders came through the smoke cheering and hacking and killing. Firearms boomed and jumped on either side. Right next to the Englishman, his captain, José Carmacosta, took the flash and thunder of a blunderbuss at close range, blowing large parts of his heart, lungs, and breastbone clear out through the back of his shirt. Then it was cold steel hand to hand, and no quarter asked or given. The Englishman swung a cutlass with all his might. He was a big man, muscular, quick, and agile, with long limbs and not a scrap of fat on his body. The blow came down like the wrath of God and caught his first man, fair, square, and smack on top of the head. The heavy blade clove to the teeth, slicing bone, brains, meat, and gristle. Number one dropped twitching and shivering, and the blade jerked free with a disgusting schlick. Then a dozen men, jammed in ferocious fight, rolled into the Englishman, and a bedlam of noise beaded his ears. Arms, blades, and budgeons worked busily all around, and instinctively he kicked and elbowed with enormous strength, clearing a fighting space around him, and, seizing the instant chance, ran the point of his weapon into the middle of his second man, who yelped and twisted and tried to pull free. But the pirate stumbled and went over face down, and the Englishman stamped a heel, snapping and crunching into the base of his victim's spine, while he leaned mightily on his sword arm, driving the blade through the wriggling body and into the planks of the deck, even as the dense press of combat knocked him clear, still gripping the slimy hilt.